We're going to be reading from John chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as, the, as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realised that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realised that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread to eat from heaven. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the 
bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. G'day everyone, my name's Dave. Thanks for joining us online today. I'm really excited to get back to church actually. So my family's been in isolation for the past two weeks. So my wife Julie tested positive. And then just as she was getting to the end of our household isolation, I tested positive. So it's been two weeks of home isolation for us and I'm pumped to get back together again. One of the things that made me think about though was that even though I'm pretty much a complete nerd and I like being at home in front of my computer, I don't know how well I would handle complete isolation from other human beings. Like it really wasn't that tough, but while in isolation on my own, I'd hear the kids walking up the hallway and I'd be like, oh, maybe they're gonna pop in and say hi to their dad. And it never happened. <laughs> and I was thinking, how, what would it take? Like how much of this would it take for me to break? And it got me thinking about what it would take to break me, what would be my snapping point as a Christian? What would be the straw that might break the camel's back, particularly when it comes to yeah, my faith. What would it take? What could happen? What circumstance in life would make me question my faith and throw in the towel? It's kind of the opposite question we would want to ask someone who isn't a Christian. If you're watching today and, and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, the question I would want to ask you is, well, what would it take? What what would it take for you to become a Christian? What would it take for you to trust Jesus and to give him your life? But the same question can get asked for those of us who are Christians. What would it take? What would be just too much? What would be too hard? What would be too much to bear that you could, at that point, you would just have to go, I just, Jesus, I just can't anymore. I'm out. The reason I ask that is because that's exactly what happens in the passage we're looking at today. In John 6, we see a whole bunch of Jesus' followers, disciples, throw in the towel. We read the beginning of John 6, but just take a look all the way down the end of John chapter 6 from verse 66. From this time on, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer followed him. For many of Jesus' disciples, John 6, what happens in John 6 is the straw that breaks the camel's back. What Jesus says in these chapters, in this chapter, was, the, was all it took for hundreds of disciples to go, Jesus, no, sorry, that's it. I can't do this anymore and walk away. So why? What makes all these people who were disciples one day fall away the next. Well, to see why the, why the crowds reject Jesus, we need to see how Jesus rejects them first. Although it's not so much that Jesus rejects the crowds, it's more that, that Jesus rejects what they think of him. So come with me to the start of John 6 again, because John 6 starts with the people seeing Jesus as the one who gives bread. So John 6 starts with Jesus in Galilee and he's teaching on a mountain and in verse 5 he looks up and he sees this crowd of people just streaming towards him coming to see him and to hear him teach and Jesus is moved he's moved with love to feed them 
And so with the disciples, the disciples find a boy with some fish and a few loaves of barley bread, which is a particular type of bread at the time. And Jesus gives thanks for the, the fish and the bread, and it gets distributed to all the people. And verse 12 says that all the people, thousands of people were satisfied. They were filled. And at this point, John, who's writing this, he's at pains to tell us that there was no other food there. It's not like they all, all these thousands of people all kind of brought out the food they were hiding or something like that. John is, at, is really at pains to tell us that the crowd was filled with these loaves and that when they collected the 12 baskets full of the leftover bread, it was the leftover barley bread. This was an amazing thing that Jesus had done. So if Jesus has done this amazing thing, how do you think the crowd should respond? What should they think when they see Jesus do this amazing miracle? Well, they probably should have been reminded of when Israel was hungry in the wilderness and God provided bread for them. So you can read about it in Exodus chapter 16. Moses and all God's people, they went out of Egypt and they're starving. There's no food there. And in the morning, God had provided these bread-like flakes on the ground, which the people looked at and called manna. And that moment in Exodus 16 is this kind of seminal moment in Israel's history. And now, a few thousand years later, here's Jesus. And he's with thousands of Israelites and they're in the wilderness with no food. And Jesus gives them bread. And when it could be that that's what they thought. So take a look at what they say in verse 14. Look in verse 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. But Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The people do seem to realise that there's something special about this Jesus guy. And so they start talking about making him their king, making him their ruler, the leader. And Jesus says no. Jesus kind of makes himself scarce and he goes to the other side of the lake. Jesus rejects these people who want to force him to be their king. Now, that's interesting. But before we find out why Jesus did that, chapter 6 kind of gives us this kind of extra short account of Jesus walking on water. And this seems to be another sign that Jesus does that kind of links Jesus with Moses and the God of the Old Testament. Because the other big seminal moment in the, for the Jewish people was when God led them through the Red Sea. So God overcame the waters and he rescued the people and here in John 6, Jesus walks out onto the water, into a storm. And, and look what Jesus says to the disciples when they see him in verse 19. They saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. And Literally, the, the words that John records for us is Jesus saying, I am. That's what Jesus says to them on the water. He says, I am, don't fear. So there's Jesus standing on the waves in the middle of a storm and Jesus looks the disciples in the boat in the eyes and he says, I am. And that phrase, I am, that's another really important phrase 
from the Old Testament. Because it's God's name. When Moses asked God, who are you? God answers, I am. That's my name. And here Jesus says to his disciples, I am. And what's interesting about that is that while the crowds, they got to see Jesus as the one who gives bread, the disciples didn't just see that, but they also got to see Jesus call himself by God's own name. The disciples in the boat got to see that Jesus was more than just a provider of bread. And, and that distinction seems to be one of the key reasons why Jesus didn't want the crowds to make him king. Because take a look what happens, what he says to them in verse 25. So Jesus has gone to the other side of the lake and the crowds have left behind, the crowds that he's left behind, they've, they've, got a, they've kind of worked out what's happened to him, where he is. And on what must have been a crazy day on, on the lake, these crowds of people start going into boats and going to the other side of the lake because they want to follow Jesus. They want to see where he is and keep hearing from him. But look what Jesus says. He kind of dismisses them from verse 25. So from verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus calls them out. Jesus calls them out on only wanting to follow him because he gave them food, only wanting to make him their king because he might provide for their earthly needs. And you know, That'd be kind of good, wouldn't it? How good would it be to have a national leader who was able to distribute things that we needed, especially if it was food? Imagine a Lord Uber Eats. That would be awesome, right? But that's why Jesus rejects them. They look at Jesus and they only see what's in it for them. They only see Jesus according to how useful he is to them. We see it again in verse 30. Have a look there in verse 30. They asked him, what sign then will you give us that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. It's really startling that they would ask for a sign of bread from heaven after just yesterday he fed them bread in the wilderness. So look how Jesus responds in verse 32. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, It's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. (laughs) Do you see how they perceive Jesus? These crowds really aren't very different to many people who claim to follow Jesus today. For many people who call themselves Christians, they might call Jesus their king. They might follow his ways and listen to him and read the Bible. But when it comes down to it, they want Jesus to fulfill their expectations for their life. They want Jesus, they want what Jesus can give them. Now, it's not hard to imagine the extreme end of that, kind of the prosperity teaching that's all about what Jesus can do for your life, make you rich and wealthy and happy and that type of thing. But that's the extreme end. It is worth thinking about the less extreme end of this idea. Because over the years, we do sometimes see a more tame version of this. The person who's been praying for their own healing for years. And 
And it slowly starts to dawn on them that maybe this side of heaven, Jesus might never heal them completely. And when they realize that, that's all it takes. I remember talking to one guy who had walked away from Christianity. And his line to me was, I tried it, it didn't work. What he means is that Jesus didn't give him the things that he wanted. A certain type of relationship, a certain type of experience, a certain type of healing. And it's in that moment that I hear that and and I want to I want to step back and go. Well, hang on. I, I thought we were in this for other reasons. I thought we were in this for bigger things. But even then, I've got to ask myself the same question. If I'm a Christian, do do I have some I don't know, minimum expectation of what I expect Jesus to do for me in my life? This is something that I've been dwelling on this week. And so let me share some of the things that I find in my heart that I think I might just expect Jesus to do for me. I I think I have this expectation that Jesus will protect me from real hardship. That is, I I don't think he'll he'll protect me from all hardship, but I think I think I expect him to protect me from real hardship. I don't know homelessness, bankruptcy, war. I think I just assumed that with Jesus, those things are off the table for my life, that Jesus would never let those things happen to me. I think I have this expectation that Jesus will save my kids, that they will be Christian when they've all grown up, that I've got this expectation that of course he'll save them, of course Jesus will do what I want him to do. I think I have this expectation that I won't live to see my kids die, that that's something I won't have to deal with personally. Now, I don't know if they're the same type of things that you might expect Jesus to do for you or if you've got other ones, but can you see how holding those expectations, even subconsciously, holding those expectations over Jesus' head as something that he surely must do for me, do you see how that's actually not much different to the prosperity gospel? It's not too different to the crowds coming to Jesus and saying, we want bread. And it's Jesus' response to that request, to that expectation, that ultimately turns the crowds against Jesus. So the crowds, they say, Jesus, give us this bread. And and look how Jesus responds in verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. You want the bread, says Jesus? You want the good stuff that makes you feel fulfilled and feel satisfied? You want that bread? I am that bread. I am true bread. And he says it again throughout this passage. He says it in verse 48, I am the bread of life. He says it again in verse 51, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Jesus really wants the crowds and he wants us to understand something so fundamental about following him, about what it means to be a Christian, that that Jesus is not primarily about giving us bread. He cares. He he does give bread. His heart goes out to them when they're hungry, but But that's not not what he's primarily about. Jesus is first and foremost about 
being our bread. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, the first aspect of what it means for Jesus to be the bread is this idea that Jesus is, he is the bread that came down from heaven. So I'm going to read a large chunk of the second half of chapter six. And we see how Jesus says he's the bread that came down from heaven. Let me read from verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I've come down from heaven? What Jesus is saying here is that the bread he's talking about, that, that he is, he, he's talking about, the, that bread is, it's not the bread that they're talking about. They're talking about different types of bread. The crowd is talking about the bread of this world, the things of this life that we strive for and we want and we enjoy and we use to make our feel, ourselves feel happy and fulfilled. They want Jesus to give them things of earth. But Jesus says he's not really on about the things of earth. Why? because he is from heaven. He is from eternity. From Jesus' point of view, this earth, this world is almost like a flash in the pan. It's, it's gone in a moment. And while Jesus cares about the things of this world, he, like he gave them bread when they were hungry in the wilderness, but that's not, it's not his mission. Jesus has the same idea in even, even stark terms in verse 62. Look at verse... 62. What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. That's the first idea about Jesus being true bread. He's not on about fulfilling our bellies and making our dreams and our desires in this life come true. Jesus' focus is on eternity. He wants to be our heavenly bread, our bread for eternity. Which is why the next thing he says is that he'll raise us up to eternal life. So let me read a large chunk again from verse 47. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever 
eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I, I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Again, do you see Jesus' agenda? Do you see his end game? Jesus isn't so much interested in giving us things in this life. He is interested in giving us everything in eternal life. Do you see that? This is one of the reasons why I find the prosperity gospel so offensive. Because it takes the words of Jesus. Jesus, who is so focused and determined and resolute about giving up his flesh, dying so that we can be raised with him and enjoy eternal life with him. The prosperity gospel takes his words and it twists them to make people think that Jesus is primarily focused on how much money you have in your bank account and, and how healthy you are. And yet, for that same reason, we must be careful of our own subconscious expectations that we bring to Jesus. Because when we think that Jesus must treat us in a certain way in this life, or that Jesus' people should do the things that we want them to do, or if that becomes kind of a test for Jesus, a standard that we expect him to meet for us, then we ultimately do the same thing the prosperity gospel does. We make this world, this life, more significant, more important than the eternal kingdom that Jesus is raising us to. I think this is something that we need to consider in the midst of a global pandemic. If you or I or one of our kids were to die of COVID, that doesn't mean Jesus has forsaken us. Jesus loves us. And while he never promised to keep us free from COVID or hardship or death, he has promised to raise us from death, to give us eternal life, eternal bread. That's our great hope as Christians, isn't it? That's what it's all about, isn't it? And yet, while heaven is our great hope, we do need to remember what Jesus said again and again in this passage. You want the bread? Jesus says, I'm. I'm not the giver of bread, I am the bread. This is why Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Jesus is saying, you want to be raised from the dead? You want the resurrection from the dead? You want to be raised from the dead? I am the resurrection from the dead. You, you want eternal life? I am eternal life. Friends, if, if you're a Christian, the greatest and most amazing promise of the gospel isn't being raised from the dead or being forgiven, or eternal life. The most precious and the most precious promise of the gospel is Jesus himself. It's knowing Jesus. One of the things we talk about a lot is the gospel, right? So the gospel is the message. It's the, the, the great news that Jesus is the king and that what? What we usually say is something like, the gospel tells us how Jesus offers us forgiveness and eternal life. That is, we can talk about the gospel as the good things that have happened through Jesus and the
the promise of good things that will happen. And, and that's right. Please don't hear me saying there's anything wrong with that. But the big promise of the gospel, the, the great news of the gospel, is that we get Jesus himself. Jesus himself, the man, his person. He is the great prize of the gospel. And eternal life is with him. Forgiveness is through him. They are all the kind of undeniable trappings that come with getting and knowing and loving Jesus. It's one of the reasons the Bible keeps using the language of a marriage for Christians and Jesus. You imagine for a second, imagine going to a wedding and the bride is there and she's all excited because of the big day and the dress and, and everyone being there and the holiday honeymoon that's coming up and the new house that she'll get to redecorate. And all the while, while she's all excited, you look over and there's the groom kind of standing in the corner being completely ignored by the bride. There's something very wrong with that idea, isn't there? Why? Well, it's because a marriage is meant to be about how she gets him and, and he gets her and, and they get one another and, and all those other good things. They all come with the marriage, but they're secondary. Jesus says, me, I'm the bread, eat me. Long for me, know me, devour me and my words and, and my teaching and, and my promises and the, and the eternal life and the forgiveness that I offer, that's all part and parcel of getting me. Do you see why Peter says those fantastic words at the end of this chapter? Come again with me to verse 66 at the end of this chapter. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter looks at Jesus as the crowds are walking away. And Peter says, you Jesus, I, I need you. I, I don't, don't just need the one who gives me bread. I need the one who is bread, the one who is life, the, the man who stands on the water and says, I am, I need you. Remember that question that we started with, what would it take? What would it take for us to walk away from Jesus? For the crowds, they were so focused on what Jesus could do for them, on what Jesus could do to alleviate their pressures in life. They were focused on that, but they weren't interested in him. They missed how precious the one standing in front of them was. Friends, if you're a Christian, please don't love Jesus' gifts more than you love Jesus. When we face the pressures of this life, when real hardship and sadness and heartbreak comes, and it will, our response can be, well, I've still got Jesus because Jesus is my prize. Jesus is my life. Friends, this is why as the year starts, it feels like 2020 hasn't really started yet. As the year starts, 
we want to be a church where we keep just exposing ourselves to Jesus, to his words. We want Jesus' word, the Bible, to just wash over us again and again in all different ways throughout the whole year because, because Jesus, his words, himself, he is life. Let's be a people who don't get distracted by life's pressures, but who keep being amazed and enthralled by how precious and wonderful and loving Jesus is. Let's make that our prayer in 2022. Can we pray with me? Our great God, thank you for sending Jesus. Father, thank you that you don't just care for our needs. You do, you see them, you know what we need. But your care goes so deeply. You give us the thing we truly need, which is you in the person of your son. Father, help us to see that. Please clear our minds, clear the fog and the pressures and the stresses of life away and and don't let the hardships come in and fog our view of how wonderful you have been. You are to us in Jesus. Help us not to love your gifts more than we love you. Please fill our hearts with love for you and enjoy all the wonderful things that come with that. And we ask all this in our great Lord Jesus' name. Amen.